Friday, the 19th of March, 2010. School anti-bullying programs make life difficult for the US Army. Senator Conroy illustrates the Rudd government's non-commitment to transparency. And some weird-ass stoush erupts between Australia and Encyclopedia Dramatica. This is the 9pm Edict. Yes, it's Friday. I'm over this fascist scheduling bullshit. There shall now be an episode of this podcast when I'm ready for it, and you can use the bloody technology called RSS or even Gasp Yes Apple Stuff iTunes to subscribe, and then you can get it when it's done. It's not like this is a bloody air raid warning or anything, is it? It's not like you need a second-by-second notification that I've recorded a podcast, is it? Hello, I'm still Gary, and welcome to The Edict, the extra special Long Island iced tea edition. Freedom of speech is a tricky bitch. In countries which have constitutionally guaranteed freedom of speech, i.e. not Australia, freedom of expression is a given. If someone wants to restrict your freedom to express your thoughts, they have to come up with a damn good reason. God bless America. But the thing about freedom of speech is that some people might say things that you don't like. And that brings me to Encyclopedia Dramatica. Encyclopedia Dramatica, or ED if I may be so familiar, is a website like Wikipedia in the sense that anyone can edit it. But instead of being about creating a useful, accurate encyclopedia like Wikipedia, it's about, well, people having fun by trying to outdo each other in being outrageous. So ED has a page about Aboriginal which is essentially every awful racist comment about the darkies that you've ever heard at a pub from some cunt called Dino multiplied by about a hundred. It's offensive, but that's the point. ED is all about people trying to outdo each other in being offensive. So in this week, news emerged that the Australian Human Rights Commission was trying to get ED to take down that page. It's simply proof that they have no fucking clue about how the internet works. Now don't get me wrong. What's on the Encyclopedia Dramatica page called Aboriginal is awful stuff. So awful, even I'm not going to read it out here tonight. Yes, there have been complaints. The Human Rights Commission says 20 complaints. So? As the creator of ED says, this is the price we pay for freedom of speech. And more importantly, has the Human Rights Commission not noticed that ED is hosted in the United States? It's run by someone in the United States. It's essentially in a completely different jurisdiction. Just why has this become a storm? The answer, I think, is because we still have government structures that are struggling to adapt to the fact that the nation state is dead. The United States Army is having to rework its basic training because new recruits are simply too shocked by the concept of, well, violence. According to Captain Scott Sewell, who's overseeing almost 190 trainees in their third week of training, quote, most of these soldiers have never been in a fist fight or any kind of physical confrontation. They are stunned when they get smacked in the face. We are trying to get them to act, to think, like warriors. 
I was reading about this in the blog Zen Pundit, which I can thoroughly recommend. As the author puts it, it covers, quote, the intersections of foreign policy, history, military theory, national security, strategic thinking, futurism, cognition, and a number of other esoteric pursuits. Zen Pundit, it's called. The culture has changed, he says. School anti-bullying programs have eliminated a lot of the physical aspects of student conflicts. The result has been that non-physical bullying, that is, verbal and social bullying, have become far worse. We're talking organised ostracism, slander, anonymous internet harassment, and they're far harder for school authorities to prove in court. And they have to prove them in court because the bullies who do this kind of shit have parents who are all too willing to sue when their ugly fucker kids are disciplined. So, says Mr Zen Pundit, most suburban kids, A, feel quite safe in saying unbelievably heinous things to each other that a generation ago, and certainly two generations ago, would have resulted in an instant punch in the face, if not a savage public beating, and B, are completely inept at defending themselves when they come across someone outside their narrow white-bred cultural zone who takes offence at their wanton disrespect and reacts with an old-school response, i.e. said punch in the face. They are, he says, the emo generation. I can relate to this. A while back, the Daily Telegraph in the UK, as opposed to the shit Sydney newspaper, published a map. Four generations of the same family, somewhere in the Midlands of the UK, if I remember correctly, when each of these people were nine years old, how far could they travel? The great-grandfather, at age nine, was allowed to hop on his bike and spend the afternoon fishing at a nearby lake six miles away nine years old. He was allowed to explore his world, presumably get up to all sorts of trouble, presumably get a few cuts and scratches, but that was life. But over the years, each generation has been kept on a tighter and tighter leash until now the current nine-year-old in the family can't go past the end of the street without being driven in a car by an adult. 200 metres. Their radius of action is 200 meters. That's outrageous. When I was a kid, I grew up on a dairy farm south of Adelaide, a place called Mount Compass. Its sole claim to fame is that it hosts an annual cow race. Look, don't ask, things are quiet in country towns, okay? But when I was nine years old, I'd take my bike by myself three or four kilometers into town to get fresh bread. I'd take the dogs out across the farm to check on cows that had gone missing, despite the risks of barbed wire and snakes and whatever else was out there. I'd use a tomahawk to cut the heads off chooks because we wanted chicken for dinner that night at nine years old. My brother and I had chores to do. They weren't totally safe. Farms are dangerous places. But that's how we learned to take care of ourselves and avoid danger. And yes, sometimes we got hurt and then it'd be the 30 kilometer drive to the nearest hospital to get the second degree burns dealt with. Our professional tip, don't ever set fire under the branches of a pine tree. Okay? Ah, and don't think that if the fire needs a bit of a hurry up, that throwing a half a bucket of petrol on it is the best strategy. It's not. Just don't. When I was a bit older, I suppose 13 or 14 or whenever you join the senior scouts, they're now called venturer scouts, we went hiking. We learnt how to cook, the food we could gather, we learnt first aid, we learnt how to deal with an emergency. As a result, 
These days, I find that when anything goes wrong, someone gets injured and needs an ambulance, or a party gets rowdy and the police arrive and someone has to be the one who really isn't drunk and really, truly, honestly, officer isn't completely off their face on the little blue pills with the rabbit so they can interact with Senior Constable Jones, who's been called in by the neighbours who can't hear their episode of Spicks and Specks over our 140 decibel rendition of Smells Like Teen Spirit. Oh, there's a fucking irony, hey. I'm the only one who knows how to deal with the situation. Everyone else stands around like they're in a coma and waiting for... Well, fuck, I, I don't know what they're waiting for. Superman, maybe. I live in fear that one day I'll have a stroke or a heart attack and collapse in the street because chances are everyone nearby will stand around waiting for someone else to tell them what to do. Except there won't be anyone, because the only stressful decision they've ever had to face in their life was which colour iPod to buy. I know a lot of people today, in the last week, who said they won't even let their kid go to the letterbox on the street, yes, outside the front of their own home, without having an adult accompany them. Because, well, I don't know. What are they afraid of? Alien abduction? We in rich Western nations live in the safest times in history ever. Yet we live in fear. Man, when I was a kid... Oh, fuck, when I was a kid... Okay. Oh, dear. Look, here's the special date that I hinted at the other week. In early May, only a few weeks away, it's my birthday. Not just any birthday, but my 50th. Yes, five zero. Yes, I grew up during the Cold War, and when Neil Armstrong first walked on the moon, I watched it live on TV at nine years old. So, starting this Sunday, I'm going to be blogging 50 till 50, 50 blog posts in the 50 days till I turn 50, one for each year. I hope you join me on that journey. It'll be weird. Meanwhile, if you have kids, for fuck's sake, let them learn how to fend for themselves. Look up on the internet, free-range kids. Google it on Bing, free-range kids. Figure out how to let go of that leash and let your kids learn how to fend for themselves. Free-range kids. Look it up. Because the last thing this world needs in challenging times, in a time of great change, is a generation of helpless puppets. Last night, Senator Stephen Conroy, our Minister for Broadband Communications and the Digital Economy, was on the ABC TV program Late Line. What I found interesting was that he's had since the 5th of March a 500-page report on how the National Broadband Network should be implemented. Yes, I know they've already started building the network, and there's even been the NBN company with employees on six-figures salaries in existence. But the government has only just been given this report by McKinsey and KPMG on how it should all be organised. Yes, start doing things first, and then get the report on what you should be doing. Welcome to Conroy's Wonderland. Now, what intrigued me is late-line presenter Tony Jones kept asking Senator Conroy whether this report which cost $25 million of your money, we made public. Here's an excerpt. It's not unreasonable for the government to say, well, we'd actually just like to consider this document ourselves, we'd like to understand all of the implications for it, and then we'll make some decisions about when and if we release it. But I have never said 
not once, Tony, that we will not be releasing this document. Well, you've, just, you've, you've, government... you've, just, you've, just, you've just made it ambiguous because you said you'll make decisions as, as to whether you will release it. So are you not well, going to government... guarantee to release it? I mean, it's a, a $25 billion publicly funded document. Well, the government is going to make a decision around those issues in the near future. But I've never said that we wouldn't release it. So we understand that there is enormous interest in this document, not just in the Senate, but right across the broader community. We've seen a whole range of, can I say, frankly, wild and inaccurate uh, statements about what's in the report. People shouldn't necessarily believe much that they've so, read so, well, but, in the okay, papers okay, about but, what's in the report. Well, fair enough, but will you release it? Will you guarantee to release it? Well, ultimately, the Cabinet of Australia is what is contemplating and studying this document at the moment, and I'm not going to preempt the Cabinet process. Can you imagine any reason, uh, having looked at the document, that it wouldn't be released? Look, I think it's a very constructive document. I think it's got some very important things contained in it. And the government is simply taking a couple of weeks to look at a 500-page document and then the Cabinet will make a considered decision about how it wants to proceed forward. This is about transparency, though. It's a $25 billion publicly funded report into a, one of the most, the largest um, uh, changes we're going to see in telecommunications in this country in a generation. So uh, surely that, the senators are entitled, at the very least, to see the underpinning information on which they have to make judgments about these bills. Well, as I said, in terms of the, the coalition particularly, they've already made a decision to vote against it without seeing it. So their, their calls about obstructionism should be seen for exactly what they are, just hypocrisy. But we are considering it at the Cabinet. It is not an unreasonable position, Tony, to say the Cabinet is entitled to look at it first and make a few decisions and then decide how the Cabinet believes this should go forward. Do you want it released? I think that it's a very positive document and I'll be uh, having that discussion with my colleagues in the very near future. Now two things strike me here. One, Senator Conroy can't give a straight yes or no answer on whether the report will be released. Is that because he's just slimy and can't give a straight answer about anything? After all, his job over the years has been as a political numbers man. Or is it because every minister is, in essence, Prime Minister Rudd's bitch, that they can't even make their own decisions as minister of their own portfolio because Mr Balloonhead controls everything? Two, why isn't the report just automatically made public? We paid for it, $25 million. Kevin Rudd, before the 2007 federal election, talked about how his government would be all about transparency. The Government 2.0 Task Force recommended that we, that is you and me, the citizens of this nation, have more direct input into what happens. And yet Conroy says it takes time to go through a 500-page report and work out what it's about and what it means and, well, man, share the load. There's 22 million of us. Some of us know about the internet, others know about business, others know about the law and so on. Why does everything have to be channeled through your desk, Senator Conroy, as minister? Why does everything have to be channeled through cabinet? This is, after all, why everything takes so long. Surely the government's commitment to transparency and Government 2.0, that wasn't a lie, was it? You wouldn't lie, Senator Conroy, would you? After all, you've been very keen to accuse other people of lying 
of late, including me. I think that calls for an edict. This is edict number six. If you are a government minister and you have commissioned a report and you receive that report, then on the same day that you receive it, you shall publish it. All of it. And we, the citizens of Australia, shall read it together and just like you, figure out what it means because we all share our future together. And if you do not release the report the same day, we shall assume that you are hiding something, whether that be incompetence or corruption, for whatever other reason could there be for hiding from us citizens the material on which you base your decisions. And if you do not release that report, well, then you shall be shot. Well, that's all for the edict tonight. If you'd like to leave a comment, either Skype to Stilgarian or phone Sydney plus six one two eight zero double one three seven double three. Details on the website. No one's left a comment. You bastards, I'm sulking. Why don't you? The next episode will be probably on Monday, the twenty second of March. But whenever I feel like it, a special "I'm a fucking god." Barack Obama isn't coming to Australia after all. Edition sometime around nine pm on the relevant day. Maybe it won't be on that day. It's my decision because this is the 9 p.m. edict.